Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. Researchers report that the personal data of U.S. military personnel is for sale online. The Hunter Biden special counsel denies claims of improper political meddling. Russia and Myanmar begin their first ever maritime exercises. Israel expects to manage Gaza security after the war. France plans to send armored vehicles to Lebanon. Regional voting begins in two key Indian states. A jailed Iranian Nobel Peace Laureate goes on hunger strike. U.S. feds announce a historic bust in Massachusetts. Biden pledges $16 billion in rail projects along Amtrak's Northeast Corridor. And China announces plans to mass-produce humanoid bots. A new study says that U.S. military personnel data is for sale online. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Politico, News Nation, and Forbes. A study published Monday by Duke University researchers reported that sensitive personal information about thousands of active-duty U.S. military personnel could be bought online for as cheap as 12 cents per record. The study was funded by the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, which was concerned that unlawful access to this data could pose a national security risk. Over the course of one year, the researchers found that so-called data brokers were collecting and selling service members' information, including home addresses, social security numbers, and medical histories. The researchers contacted 12 data brokers and bought information from three. In some cases, the researchers used .asia email addresses and servers in Singapore to prove the brokers were willing to sell data to foreign entities. Some geolocation data, however, wasn't easily accessible if it related to a person near what was characterized as a sensitive location, but geolocations for people elsewhere were available for purchase. All right, Melissa. Thanks for those upsetting facts, Melissa. We have some upsetting narratives, starting with PC Magazine's pro-establishment narrative. There's a gaping hole in the protection provided to U.S. service members, and there must be a ban on trafficking this type of information especially when it comes to transactions with foreign adversaries. Congress can take robust action to protect the men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces through supportive regulatory processes. Here's an establishment critical narrative from MIT Technology Review. This study should be unsettling, particularly to those in Congress. But no one should be shocked, because even before the results of the study were published, it was obvious individuals' data was being peddled by these brokers. It's not too late to right this wrong, but Congress should have acted years ago and failed to do so. Melissa, I was watching a TikTok. No surprise. Yeah, I was watching a TikTok and it was a financial advisor telling someone, hey, you have $8,000 in credit card debt. Why do you have a Netflix account? Like you can't you can't afford a Netflix account. You have $8,000 in credit card debt. Okay, I say. If the United States or the U.S. military or whatever, where however you want to silo this, if you can't afford to protect the data of the brave folks that are fighting for us, then we can't afford another aircraft carrier or jet or whatever. That should be first, not last. Yes. Yes, this is true. It sounds like they need to do a, a an emotional audit of their finances. If there's one 
branch of government that's always good uh, with their emotions, it's the military. I'm sure they will oh, wholeheartedly oh, yeah. embrace this exercise. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> this it's, Honestly, this think- story, we, we read a lot of, of, of news stories, and I, I reacted to it when we first were reading it uh, off camera. This might be the most upsetting story I've, I've read in terms I mean, we read a lot about horrible stories. This isn't the worst thing that we've read about, but just it just it's just upsetting. It seems unnecessary. It is. And, and it, it makes you wonder, too. I mean, they haven't really explicitly said anything but personal information. And how deep does that go? I'm, I'm sure we could dig deeper into this. This Duke University report. Too. We're on tenuous ethical ground with the whole military thing already. Like, let's just make it yeah. so these people can. It's just a for mostly people, it's a job. Why? Like, just yeah. let them work their job and do this thing. And they're getting paid money. And there's already let's so just, many hazards for so many yes, of them. Let's protect the, their the data. Let's do something. I mean, it just, yeah. I don't know. Well, it just turns my stomach. Hunter Biden's special counsel denies political meddling. Here are the facts as agreed upon by News Nation, CNN, The New York Post, NBC News, Fox News, and BBC News. Special counsel David Weiss, who oversees the investigation into U.S. first son, Hunter Biden, told the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday that he has been the decision maker in the case, dismissing claims of improper political meddling. While stressing during his transcribed, closed-door interview that he must indeed adhere to certain processes in making decisions, as he is required to abide by federal law, the principles of prosecution, and Justice Department guidelines, Weiss asserted that he has never been blocked from pursuing charges. This comes as he voluntarily testified before Congress to address alleged misunderstandings about the scope of his authority to bring charges in this matter, marking the first time that a special counsel has done such a thing in the middle of an investigation. Republicans have sought answers for months about his authority over the Hunter probe, as several officials testified that he needed to partner with prosecutors to bring a case outside Delaware and that the DOJ's tax division had to consent to the charges despite Attorney General Merrick Garland and Weiss himself arguing that he had ultimate authority. The Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware who began the investigation in 2018 was granted special counsel status in August after plea talks between the DOJ and Hunter Biden related to tax and gun charges collapsed. Subsequently, Hunter Biden was indicted in September for lying on federal firearm forms and illegally possessing a firearm while using illicit drugs, yet pleaded not guilty. Meanwhile, News Nation has reported that a source close to the House impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden claimed Republicans could subpoena Hunter and his uncle James as soon as this week. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with a Republican narrative from The Federalist. Despite Weiss reiterating the same story to Garland in an attempt to mislead Congress, Testimonies from several U.S. officials suggest that the special counsel does not hold ultimate decision-making power. There have been too many complaints about the Justice Department's meddling in the investigation not to believe that there's a cover-up underway to protect the Biden family. And New Republic brings us the Democratic spin. At first, Republicans demanded Trump appointed Weiss to be named special counsel to independently investigate Hunter Biden, as if this would finally make their conspiracy theories true. As that hasn't been the case, they are now pretending that there is something malicious going on to protect the Biden family instead of accepting that they have nothing against Joe Biden. And there's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 25 percent chance that Joe Biden will be impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. 
Russia and Myanmar begin their first maritime military exercises. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, ABC News, Xinhua, the Associated Press, and the Moscow Times. Myanmar's junta leader, Senior General Min Aung Hling, has met with Russian Naval Chief Admiral Nikolai Evmanov ahead of the first-ever Myanmar-Russia Joint Maritime Exercises off the Andaman coast, as both countries have drawn closer amid diplomatic isolation from the West. The state-run newspaper Global New Light of Myanmar reported that the drills focusing on defending against threats from air, land, and sea will be held about 157 kilometers west of Maik in Myanmar's far south from Tuesday to Thursday. Russian warships bearing 800 sailors have arrived in Myanmar since last week to take part in maritime security exercises, with the Myanmar Navy warning that a five-mile radius around the exercise area will be restricted as a safety precaution. The drills come as Myanmar's military faces the coordinated offensives of the resistance fighters and ethnic minority armed organization that have seized strategic areas in the northern region of Sagaing and the eastern state of Shan. Myanmar was among several countries from the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, that joined a counterterrorism military exercise held in Russia's Far East in September. From February 2021 to May 2023, the junta has reportedly imported $406 million in arms and equipment from Russia. The UN Independent Investigator on Human Rights in Myanmar, Tom Andrews, in a report to the Human Rights Council, stated in May that the junta also received $267 million in weapons and material from China, $254 million from Singapore, $51 million from India, and $28 million from Thailand. Thanks, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Reuters. Russia's close relationship with the brutal Myanmar junta has been growing for years now, and its threat to Southeast Asia has grown along with it. While the West must always be prepared to combat confrontational moves by Russia and China, it should also work to build diplomatic relations with the surrounding nations, many of whom share similar concerns about the rise of Moscow and Beijing in their region. Here's the establishment critical narrative from TASS. Russia is simply working with members of the Asian Pacific region whom the U.S., Australia, and Japan have left out to dry. Some member states of ASEAN, including Myanmar, have now been negatively impacted by the West's hegemonic pursuits in the region. Russia, however, believes in mutually beneficial cooperation between all states, which is why the U.S. and its friends are stoking confrontation with those who don't bow to their demands. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 50% chance that Myanmar will no longer be classified as being in a state of civil war by 2028. Netanyahu says Israel will manage Gaza security for an indefinite period after the war. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, ABC News, Reuters, and the Times of Israel. A month into the war triggered by the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said the country would manage the overall security responsibility of Gaza for an indefinite period after the war. In an interview with ABC News that aired Monday, Netanyahu said, when we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. The comments come after U.S. President Joe Biden last month warned Israel against a full-scale occupation of Gaza 
stating that doing so would be a big mistake. Biden again spoke with Netanyahu on Monday, according to the White House, and reportedly advocated for tactical pauses in fighting Gaza for humanitarian reasons. John Kirby, the White House National Security Council spokesman, told reporters, you can expect that we're going to continue to advocate for temporary and localized pauses in the fighting. We consider ourselves at the beginning of this conversation, not at the end of it. Addressing the question of a pause with ABC News, Netanyahu indicated he was open to tactical little pauses for the passage of goods or hostages, but reaffirmed his stance that there would be no general ceasefire without the release of hostages. The comments come as U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres reiterated his calls for a ceasefire on Monday. Using his strongest language yet, Guterres said that Gaza was becoming a graveyard for children. According to Gaza's Hamas-run Ministry of Health, the death toll has exceeded 10,000 people, more than 4,000 of which were children. Thanks for those hard facts, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with the Times of Israel's pro-Israel narrative. After Hamas's heinous attack on Israel, the country has a right and a duty to carry out this operation against Gaza, including taking control of the enclave's security for an indefinite period to ensure such an attack on Israel does not take place again. And the new era brings us the pro-Palestine narrative. As Israel has done time and again with the Palestinians, although it illegally occupies their land, it claims that it is in fact the victim. While Hamas's attacks were tragic, the decades of death and destruction imposed on Palestinians by Israel that incubated this violence cannot be ignored. And here's a nerd narrative from Metaculus saying there's a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity food, gasoline, and medicine in Gaza by December 2023. France will give armored vehicles to the Lebanese army. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters. Here are the, fa- here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters. Lorient Today, Army Technology, 1470 and 100.3 MBD Radio, MSN, and U.S. News and World Report. French Defense Minister Sébastien Lecornu said on Monday that France intends to send dozens of armored vehicles to the Lebanese army to allow it to effectively conduct patrol missions. After a recent trip to Lebanon, Lecornu stated that the Lebanese National Army must be strengthened so it can coordinate successfully with the UN peacekeeping force stationed in South Lebanon as tensions rise between Israel and Hezbollah a powerful Iran-backed political party and armed group. France will give 15 véhicules de l'Avant Blindé, or VABs, a front-lined armor vehicle, to support the Lebanese army for combat operations. The VAB possesses the hot, long-range anti-tank system, along with 10 canines trained to detect explosives. The French defense minister emphasized that France's support for the Lebanese army is for the long term adding that France will provide military hardware and medical supplies, establishing a joint program to purchase medical supplies at competitive prices for the army in the future. Despite France's attempts to defuse rising tensions between Israel and Hezbollah, the situation on the border has escalated. France, which once administered Lebanon, also maintains 700 troops in Lebanon as part of the UN Interim Force in Lebanon, founded in 1978. Lebanon-based Hezbollah, considered a terrorist organization by Western countries, including the U.S., 
is a powerful armed Shiite Muslim organization. Lebanon is in crisis as a result of economic turmoil. State functions are near non-existent, and officials fear that any skirmishes between Israel and Hezbollah could spiral into a larger conflict. Thanks, Melissa. Begin brings us the pro-establishment narrative. France has strong historical ties to Lebanon and its people, owing largely to the country's extensive diplomatic involvement in the region. France also perceives instability in the Middle East as a threat to its own security, thus explaining its interest in strengthening military ties with the country. It makes perfect sense that the French would send military equipment as part of this effort. Here's the establishment critical narrative from the cradle. The French are kidding themselves if they think that the Lebanese people will suddenly forget France's support for Israel's ruthless assault on Gaza, just because it plans to send some armored vehicles to the Lebanese army. France can warn and threaten Hezbollah all at once, but this will have no impact on Hezbollah's resistance to Israel and the daily attacks it carries out on the border. And we have another nerd narrative from Attaculus. They predict a 1% chance that Lebanon will come under French rule again before the year 2025. Regional voting begins in two Indian states. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of India, the Associated Press, Reuters, Al Jazeera, and BBC News. Regional elections have commenced in two Indian states as voters in the central state of Chhattisgarh and the northeastern state of Mizoram went to the polls Tuesday to decide between Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Bharatiya Janata Party, or BJP, and the opposition Congress Party. A total of five elections will take place in November, and the contest will be a litmus test for Modi's popularity ahead of India's general election next May. More than 160 million people, roughly one-sixth of India's electorate, are eligible to vote. The regional elections will be held from November 7th to November 30th, with final counts due on December 3rd. The BJP only rules in Madhya Pradesh, and Congress holds power in Chhattisgarh and Rajasthan, with Mizoram's election to be the first in India's northeastern regions since ethnic violence erupted in Manipur state in May. 77% of eligible voters turned out in Mizoram, while Chhattisgarh saw a voter turnout of nearly 71%. 40 of Mizoram's assembly seats were up for a vote, 20 seats were up for a vote in Chhattisgarh in its first phase of voting, and voting on the remaining 70 seats in Chhattisgarh will take place on November 17th. Madhya Pradesh will also vote on November 17th, while Rajasthan in the west and Telangana in the south will vote on November 23rd and November 30th, respectively. In July, Congress allied with various opposition parties to create the coalition known as India. Indian National Developmental Inclusive Alliance in an attempt to resist the influence of Modi, who remains popular in the country. While polling shows Modi is poised to secure a third term next year, economic struggles have led to electoral challenges for the BJP in some states. As Congress looks to revive its power in national politics, it has announced various subsidies and programs for women and farmers. Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with a narrative A from Op India. As voting takes place in multiple states this month, including Shatisgara, it is important to remember how much violence and left-wing extremism has been inflicted against the Modi government. Prime Minister Modi and the BJP are focused on making all of India safer so that people can live and thrive in peace. Modi's government has done wonders for Chhattisgarh in particular, and the BJP will ride the prime minister's success to a resounding electoral victory. Narrative B comes from The Wire. 
As Modi's right-wing policies leave many poor people behind, Congress's focus on economic subsidies will play a major role in its political revival. While the BJP has maintained electoral dominance for some time, its power is fraying at the state level, and the opposition alliance will have an opportunity to pry back control. While Modi may win re-election next year, the BJP is at risk of losing support in the long run, and November's election could be the beginning of a major political shift. And there's a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 75% chance that the BJP will form the government after the Indian general election in 2024. The jailed Iranian Nobel Peace Laureate goes on hunger strike. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, France 24, BBC News, and the New York Times. Jailed Iranian Nobel Peace Prize winner Narhez Mohammadi has gone on hunger strike over Iran's alleged refusal to provide medical care to her and her fellow inmates, as well as its mandatory enforcement of the hijab for women. According to human rights advocates, prison authorities prevented Mohammadi from receiving heart and lung treatment in a hospital last week because she declined to cover her hair with a headscarf. The Norwegian Nobel Committee, which awarded Mohammadi the Peace Prize for her fight against the oppression of women in Iran last month, said it was inhumane and morally unacceptable to make hospital visits conditional on female inmates wearing a hijab. Mohammadi's husband claims that his wife, who is serving a 10-year sentence in Iran's Evin prison on charges of spreading propaganda against the state, has refused dry food and is only drinking water with salt or sugar. Mohammadi has previously advocated for women's rights and the abolition of the death penalty in Iran. She is currently serving a combined 31-year jail term for her campaign for women's rights in Iran. Her reported hunger strike comes over a year after protests erupted in Iran against the country's mandatory hijab laws following the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in the custody of the morality police. Thanks, Melissa. We have some conflicting narratives on this story. Voice of America brings us the anti-Iran spin. Iran's treatment of women in general and Mohammadi in particular is inhumane and demonstrates the moral failings of the Islamic Republic. Mohammadi, a brave activist who has fought hard for women's rights, is facing death all because she refused to cover her hair. The international community must do more to support Iranian women. Here's the pro-Iran narrative from Press TV. From the beginning, the West has tried to stir trouble in Iran over its overwhelmingly popular religious policies. These Western-backed activists are nothing but provocateurs, sowing the seeds of subversion in a bid to destabilize Iran. Iranian women have had a strong Muslim identity, and they won't be swayed by foreign manipulation. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus. They predict a 1% chance that Iran will disempower its guidance patrol modesty police before the year 2024. Feds make a historic drug bust in Massachusetts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by WHDH7 News, Boston 25 News, and CBS News. Law enforcement seized over 220 pounds of illegal substances worth an estimated $8 million in street value in Massachusetts in the biggest ever drug bust in New England, the U.S. Justice Department announced Monday. On Wednesday, federal investigators raided a home in the North Shore area of Massachusetts in connection with an ongoing overdose death investigation and seized over 100 kilos of controlled substances, 
half a kilo of cocaine base, and several guns. Investigators say that several children were living in the home where the lethal substances were being stored. According to court documents, the controlled substances included 900,000 individual doses of powdered fentanyl and 20 pounds of pink, heart-shaped pills that reportedly are comprised of fentanyl and methamphetamine. The drugs were seized the same day that Emilio Garcia, Sebastian Beijing, and Dibi Felix from Lynn Mass were arrested. The suspects were reportedly the subject of a three-month-long investigation into an overdose death in Salem, Mass. in July 2023 and were allegedly involved in a drug trafficking ring. Special agent in charge of the FBI Boston Division, Jody Cohen, said in a statement on Monday that she was announcing the arrest of three alleged drug traffickers whose actions have kept the Bay State awash in dangerous and deadly narcotics. More than 82,000 Americans died from fentanyl overdoses in 2022, with the DEA saying that the number has increased every year for the last five years. From the start of 2023, law enforcement agencies have seized more than 55 million fentanyl pills and more than 9,000 pounds of fentanyl powder. Those were the facts, and we'll start with a pro-establishment narrative from the U.S. Department of Justice. This raid is a law enforcement victory. The suspects involved in this investigation had provided lethal drugs like fentanyl to the community unchecked for a ridiculous amount of time, leading to at least one death. It's time that these criminals are held accountable for drug trafficking and they should be punished to the full extent of the law. And The Independent brings us the establishment critical narrative. While it's good that these individual drug traffickers were taken off the street, the reality is that someone else will likely fill their places in a dangerous market. The fact that some of the seized drugs were made to look like candy increases the risk to children and emphasizes the importance of stopping drug trafficking as an entire complex system. Oh, wait, that's a lot of drugs. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised that the largest bust in New England history is only $8 million. I would have thought, you know, I'm a little, I, would have, I don't know. I would have figured Whitey Bulger had some bigger thing back in the day or something. Biden announces a $16 billion investment in rail projects. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, The News Journal, The Hill, and Business Insider. President Joe Biden on Monday in Delaware announced more than $16 billion in federal investment in rail travel along Amtrak's northeast corridor of the U.S. The funding comes from the president's 2021 infrastructure law, which promised more than $66 billion for passenger rail investment. The plan includes $3.8 billion to restore the Hudson River Tunnel between New Jersey and New York and $4.7 billion to replace parts of the Frederick Douglass Tunnel in Maryland, which will reportedly see the train's maximum speed reach 110 miles per hour, up from its current 30 miles per hour. In total, the administration will direct funds to 25 passenger rail projects between Boston and Washington, D.C., a corridor that serves 260 million people a year. The funds are scheduled to be distributed incrementally, with $9 billion appropriated in the fiscal year 2022-2023 and the remaining $7.4 billion in the future. Thanks, Melissa. We have a Democratic narrative spin from The New York Times. The president is continuing to fulfill the promises he made to improve the country and grow the economy. Recent polling that shows him trailing former President Donald Trump focused mostly on the economy, 
So Biden is going to continue showing the public how much his administration is accomplishing in that realm while Republicans attempt to cut crucial funding for vital projects. The Republican narrative comes from The Daily Caller. This funding is another Democrat handout to a company that's never turned a profit and probably never will. This money will probably land in the hands of Biden's union lackeys, who still get paid large salaries at Amtrak, despite the company always being in the red. Democrats never stop foolishly spending taxpayer money. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, they predict a 43% chance that Trump would defeat Biden if they face off in the 2024 presidential election. I swear, (laughs) you listeners may not believe me. 48 hours ago, I was talking to Melissa about how I'm shocked and a bit disappointed that Biden hadn't pushed any train-related legislation through. And here we are. So there you have it. Here we are. He heard you. Yeah. He said, ah, I hate to be disappointing Scott Wallace from Verity. Right. Uh, Right. Off a behind-the-scenes cutout criticism that didn't even make the show well right. they you know they they can hear you they didn't they make know. the show but it did make the nsa's report yes it oh definitely there's yeah. a lengthy dossier on me <laughs> i hope there's uh, one on me too <laughs> yeah that would, it would at this point not having a per- really invasive sensitive document of all your stuff that that someone's pouring over is almost an insult at this point like then everyone yeah. who's anyone is being having their privacy stolen That's right. I will be pretty offended. Yeah. Our final story, China plans to mass produce humanoid robots within two years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Insider, Science Times, Alltech Magazine, Xinhua, and Technode. China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, or MIIT, has released plans to mass produce humanoid robots by 2025 claiming that such a development will, quote, reshape the world. According to a guideline published by MIIT, such humanoid robots are expected to become a disruptive product, similar to that of computers, smartphones, and new energy vehicles of the past. According to the state-run news agency Xinhua, China aims to contain two to three humanoid robot companies with global influence by the year 2025, and will hold a secure and reliable industrial and supply chain system by 2027. MIIT's document calls for the development of cerebellum's brains and limbs of future humanoid robots, acknowledging that for its targets to be met, research into technology such as artificial intelligence must be improved. In 2022, China was responsible for more than 50% of global sales in industrial robots and currently contains 3 million industrial robots already in operation domestically. In 2021, China invested $20 billion in robotics research and development. The document proposes that such robots would be used within sectors such as electronics, automotive, healthcare, services, agriculture, and logistics. A report by consulting firm Grandview Research valued the global humanoid robot market in 2022 at $1.11 billion, with a projection for a compound annual growth rate of 21.1%, from 2023 to 2030. Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with a pro-China narrative from the People's Daily. The continued expansion of robot development in China highlights the country's rapid technological advancements. Already important roles in both established and growing industries, China is building upon already established momentum within sectors such as AI, 
and seizing an exciting opportunity to seismically change the world in a manner that seemed impossible only years prior. The anti-China narrative comes from ZME Science. China's ambitious plan isn't an attestment to its technological prowess, but rather an indication of an impending economic catastrophe as it seeks to leverage technological breakthroughs to combat an aging population crisis as well as sizable labor shortages. Beijing's focus on humanoid robotics is also a clear attempt to challenge the likes of Japan and the U.S. and present itself as a global leader in the field. USA Today brings us a cynical narrative. To produce humanoid robots powered by AI is simply playing with fire and, and a certainty to end poorly. For humanity to create and then place trust in creations exponentially more powerful and more intelligent than us is naive. Such a progression in technology mirrors the beginning of a plethora of stories portraying the downfall of mankind. And the nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 50% chance that the creation of a humanoid robot that the general public judges as indistinguishable from humans will occur by February 2058. It'll be funny when they have to make like fat, out of shape robots to make them like more realistic. Like this robot has to have sleep apnea. That's what this robot needs. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. This robot seems well adjusted and happy and treats treats others as they want to be treated. Something's wrong with this guy. Must be a robot. I don't think it's a human. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. To find out more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download our apps on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity.